Will you please stand as we read the word of God? John 13, 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. May God bless the reading of his holy word. You may be seated. I appreciated so much uh, Pastor Rich's sermon of two weeks ago in 2 Corinthians 5, 16 to 21. It's actually my life passage. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. Behold, all things have become new. That was the first part of my life in Christ, was I just was glad to know that all things had come new and I was saved. And the second part of that passage is the rest of our lives. It's God having given us the ministry of reconciliation. And so uh, I just want to give a little background, though, for those of you who don't know us very well. Uh, Laura and I were born and raised in different cities here in southwest Ohio. And in God's sovereignty, we both came to personal faith in Christ the year before we started college. And we came down here to UC separately, and we met at a Christian student ministry. And um, we began to get to know each other, and you know how that all turned out. I was planning to be a lawyer. Laura was planning to be a designer. But God was planning something else for us. While we were in college, God opened our eyes and hearts to the last words that Jesus recorded. Sorry, the last words of Jesus recorded by the Apostle Matthew. This is often called the Great Commission, and I know that you're familiar with it. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, you know that the key verb in this passage is make disciples. If you want to keep track, you're going to hear that a lot in the next few minutes. Well, Laura and I were thankful that we were discipled in our student fellowship at UC and at College Hill Presbyterian Church. Before we graduated from UC, Laura and I sensed God's call to make disciples among peoples who humanly speaking, had little or no opportunity to hear the gospel. Our church leaders confirmed this call for us, and for the past 35 years, we've been ambassadors for Christ in three countries in the Middle East and Europe. And we've overseen and trained cross-cultural ministry teams in more than 20 countries. Now, along the way, God has broadened and deepened and sharpened our understanding of our own discipleship, by sovereignly allowing us to go through trials, testings, temptations, and tough relationships. And those experiences have shaped how we now make disciples. Today, I want to share with you some of what we have learned. Now, let me start off by saying I have some bad news for you. And I have some good news. 
but we're going to do the bad news first. The bad news is that we are in the middle of a pandemic. And that pandemic is not the one you're thinking of. The pandemic I'm talking about is an aggressive, fast-growing, merciless killer of the life, the integrity, and the credibility of churches worldwide. The pandemic in the church I speak of is an uncontrolled virus of disobedience to Jesus in the form of unresolved interpersonal conflicts. Its symptoms are schisms, factions, strife, gossip, slander, disharmony, disunity, distant relationships, discouragement, and loss of faith. Maybe I just described a church you know of, or maybe the one you used to go to. The lingering consequences of this pandemic are lack of spiritual power in the church and a reputation in the world that makes both the devil and human scoffers fill the air and the internet with mocking laughter. The world does not know that we are Jesus' disciples by the love we have for one another. Now, of course, there are wonderful exceptions shining as bright light in the darkness, but sadly, it seems that much of the church has let the spirit of this broken and polarized world affect us rather than the other way around. Now, please trust me that I'm not targeting any one person here in the room, nor am I singling out your church. I'm just reporting what I've personally observed and heard from churches and international ministries around the globe. And also, please trust me that I am going to get to the good news, but not yet. I said that this pandemic is a virus of disobedience to Jesus. Now, where do I get that? Well, quite simply, too many churches and individual Christians have not obeyed the Great Commission. Now, I'm not talking about the going into all the world part. That part's actually quite encouraging. The gospel is spreading around the world faster today than any time in history. The part of discipling all nations that is being neglected and therefore causing this pandemic of broken and unhealed relationships is the teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you part. Now, how do I know this? Well, let me tell you a true story. The story is called Hope Lost. William, Sarah, James, and Deborah were bright, young, passionate Jesus followers. They gave up promising careers in their home country to bring the good news of Jesus to a community overseas where there were no followers of him. William was their team leader. Before they went abroad, they prayed together, worshiped together, studied together, trained together, planned together, and recruited others to join their team. Their faith and commitment built up the faith of their friends and family in churches at home. Everyone anticipated how God would be glorified through the lives and witness of these ambassadors for Jesus among people who had not heard of him. They arrived in their new country full of faith, hope, joy, and trust in each other. All was good. Less than a year later, they were empty of faith, hope, joy, and trust in each other. 
James and Deborah wanted to resign from the team. They had come to dislike, resist, and complain about William's leadership. At the same time, William was ready to dismiss James and Deborah from the team. Sarah and Deborah's relationship had built up mutual pain from a cycle of criticism and withdrawal. Each woman said that she did not feel emotionally safe to be in the same room with the other one. Sadly, this same story happens more often than you might think. Eventually, William asked for outside help. Mediators were called in, and the two couples in conflict put their ministry on hold for a week to work on their relationship problems. Teammates lovingly served by watching the couple's children when needed. Deborah told the mediators that she would not meet in the same room with Sarah until she felt emotionally safe to do so. Sarah said the same thing about Deborah. James announced to the mediators, I don't understand why we have to spend all this time and energy on this conflict with William and Sarah. I just want to get out and share Jesus with these dear people in our community who haven't ever heard of him. Now, maybe you have some questions about what James just said, like I do. I wondered, which Jesus is James going to go and share with these dear people who haven't heard of him? Is it the Jesus who tells us to postpone our acts of worship in Matthew 5, 23 and 24, who says, if when you're bringing your gift to the altar, when you're coming to worship, if you remember you've offended someone and haven't reconciled with them, stop worshiping, go back, reconcile with that person, and then come and do your worship. Is that the Jesus that James is going to share with these dear people who haven't heard of him? Or is it the Jesus who said in Mark eleven twenty five, when you stand praying, forgive so that your heavenly Father will forgive you? Is that the Jesus James is going to share? Or is, it the, or is it the Jesus James is going to share, the one who said in our passage today, the world will know that you are my disciples by the love you have for one another? And I wonder about James. James, are you going to share that Jesus, or are you going to share another Jesus? Now, Whoever discipled William, Sarah, James, and Deborah neglected to teach them to obey just four Bible commands. Listen to the first word of each of these as I read them. They are imperatives. They are commands. Pursue the things that make for peace and the building up of one another, Romans 14, 19. Strive for peace with everyone, Hebrews 12, 14. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Ephesians 4, 3. Do everything in your power, as long as it depends on you, to be at peace with all. Romans 12, 18. If whoever discipled this team of people had discipled them in just these four Bible commands, they wouldn't have ended up the way they, they were. Now, I've got some more bad news if that wasn't enough for you. It's widely accepted that unresolved interpersonal conflict is the number one, the number one preventable reason that people who go overseas to fulfill the Great Commission 
come home before their commitment is up. Now, I don't want you to think badly about cross-cultural workers because they often fail to resolve their conflicts. The big problem is that their churches and their sending agencies have sent them into high-stress spiritual battles without proper training in biblical conflict resolution. For example, a large international agency heard about our Ministry of Peace Pursuit, and one of their pre-field trainers contacted me. He said that they acknowledge that unresolved conflict is the number one reason that their teams are ineffective on the field, and it's the number one reason for preventable attrition. So he wanted me to help them with their pre-field training program. Well, I asked him, well, how long is your pre-field training program? Six weeks, he said. Great. I said, well, how much time are you setting aside for biblical conflict resolution in your six-week training program? 90 minutes. I said, dude, help me out here. You acknowledge that unresolved conflict is the number one reason your people come home early. It's the number one reason why your teams are not effective. And out of a six-week pre-field training program, you give them 90 minutes? Don't blame the people on the field. Blame the people who send them. One last bit of bad news for you. Unresolved conflict is tolerated by churches. Now, again, I'm not saying anything about your here. It's even woven into the cultural fabric among some Christians. Like, it is what it is. We were teaching Peace Pursuit at a conference in Europe one time, and during a break, an attendee came up to me and said, you know, John, unresolved conflict is so accepted among Christians in our country, we even have jokes about it. I said, what? He said, yeah, let me tell you a story that we tell each other. There was a guy from our country, and uh, he got in his sailboat and went out on the sea, and he had a shipwreck, and a storm came, and he was, he was able to save himself, but he ended up on a deserted island. No one else around. And he lived there for like 10 years before another ship came by and, and rescued him. And the people who came on that ship to rescue this guy, they, they said, well, let's, let's see how you've been living for 10 years and show us around your island. And so the guy said, yeah, sure, come and see. And so the people who rescued him looked up, and on top of the hill there, there were three huts. And they said, well, tell us about these three huts. And the, the guy who had been ex, uh, exiled on this island said, well, this one over here on the left, that's my house. That's where I live. And, and they said, well, what's the second one? They said, well, that's, that's my church, he said. And they said, well, what's the third one? He said, well, that's where I used to go to church. <laughs> now, these are people telling me this is, their, this is the Christians in their country. That's what they say. Seriously, what a tragedy. They have tolerated and normalized sin in their churches, and they joke about it. Well, have you had enough bad news? Let's get to the good news. The good news truly is an increasing number of churches and international ministries are fed up with their disobedience, which has caused this pandemic of unresolved interpersonal conflicts. They're saying enough is enough. They want to learn how to do everything in their power to be at peace with each other. They want to love each other as Jesus loved his followers. And they want the world to know that they are Jesus' disciples by the love they have for one another. 
And we, Laura and I, are thrilled to have a small part in helping stem the tide of this pandemic. You see, I'm convinced that most Bible-believing, Jesus-following Christians actually know in their head the biblical commands to make peace. And I believe that most Bible-reading, Jesus-following Christians in their hearts are motivated to make peace. But the problem is they don't have the practical tools in their hands to actually make peace. They don't know how to answer the question, in a conflict, who should do what, when, and how? Well, Peace Pursuit fills that gap. It answers those questions. We provide biblical, practical, and accessible tools like our Quick Start Guide, which Michael shared with you some time ago, and which is available on our website, that all a person has to do often to make peace with another one is simply sit down, have time with God, praying, soaking in the word, and with the help of our quick start guide, meet with God, and then get ready to confess and forgive as appropriate. Now, this is kind of like an analogy of evangelism. Most Christians know in their head that they should share their faith, and in their heart they want to share their faith, but often they just don't know how. So when they do get training with a simple, clear, and user-friendly tool, then they do share their faith. That was my experience. That's what I learned in my student ministry at UC. I knew I should share my faith. I wanted to share my faith, but I didn't do it so well until I learned practical tools in how to share my faith. Now, in our ministry of Peace Pursuit, we have not advertised. We're not on social media. And just by word-of-mouth recommendations... We have so much demand for our Peace Pursuit training from international ministries and churches here in the U.S. that we cannot keep up with the requests. So you could say that in a positive way, peacemaking is going viral. In recent weeks, I've heard how leaders of churches in China and Uzbekistan have used our Peace Pursuit material to transform their churches. And an Iranian church leader who uses our material tells me that when visitors come to their church, these visitors say, hey, wait a minute, your church is different. And it's the same here in the U.S. God has used Peace Pursuit to totally change the culture of a church in Boston. Just five days ago, Laura and I had lunch with a pastor in Tennessee. He said to me, John, There is no discipleship without conflict resolution. And this pastor wants us to train his church staff, and he offered his church to host Peace Pursuit training for a network of 80 churches in his region. Now, Jesus gave us a new commandment to love one another as he has loved us. And he spoke those words during the Last Supper, just after he had washed the disciples' feet as an act of of humble service. Peacemaking is loving each other. Peacemaking is humbling ourselves. Peacemaking is loving each other enough to be honest about what we've done to a person, to offend them, to humble ourselves, and to honor that person when we apologize. Peacemaking is loving that person to forgive 
when they've offended us. Well, how about you? Now I am addressing you individually. Is there anyone that you have an interpersonal conflict with? Now, often when I ask that question, people say, oh, no, I don't have a conflict with that person. We just don't talk. We sit on opposite sides of the sanctuary. We don't let our eyes meet. Okay, that's not a conflict. A relational problem, let's say. Is there someone that you need to forgive in your heart before God? Is there someone you know that you've offended? That you want to spend time with God to prepare your heart, to prepare how to go and confess your sin to that person and be reconciled with them. And if that is your situation, I know that you want to do it with your head, that you know, how to, you, know you should do it with your head and you want to do it with your heart, and we have materials for you that will help you with your hands. Just go on peacepursuit.org, download our quick start guide, and get started. You can also come to our training on January, sorry, July 17th. And you can even ask Michael to help you. Right, Michael? Yeah. Now, we like to say in Peace Pursuits, one of our taglines is that an interpersonal conflict can be complicated, but its resolution doesn't have to be. And that's why our tools are clear, biblical, and accessible. So no matter how complicated your personal conflict is or relational problem, please know that it doesn't have to be complicated to make a resolution. Well, remember William, Sarah, James, and Deborah? Would you like to hear the rest of the story? Yeah, I grew up with Paul Harvey. <laughs> Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> Here's the rest of the story. Remember, they took a week off of ministry, of bringing the gospel to dear people who have never heard of Jesus in their lives. Well, during that week, they met William, Sarah, James, and Deborah followed our Peace Pursuit model, and the mediators coached each one of them through our stage one, which is meet with God for their appropriate roles. To their credit, during that week, the four parties each sought God, listened to his voice, and obeyed his word as they processed Peace Pursuit stage one. They pulled the planks out of their own eyes, like we just heard this morning. They admitted the truth about themselves. They humbled themselves before God. And as God promises to the humble, he gave each of them the grace they needed. That's James 4, 6. On the last day, the mediators brought William, Sarah, James, and Deborah together. It was the first time in weeks that all four had met in the same room. James, remember James? He's the one who wouldn't, would rather tell people about Jesus than make peace with his teammates. James asked to start. With tears, James confessed his rebellious and judgmental spirit toward his leader, William. And James also repented of his initial lack of commitment to obey Jesus by pursuing peace. 
William, the leader of the team, confessed that he had not cared for James and Deborah in the pastoral way he should have. Sarah sobbed as she confessed that she had known her critical words had hurt Deborah, but she had willfully continued to say them. In tears, Deborah confessed that she had withheld her love and forgiveness of Sarah and that she had consciously withdrawn from Sarah. Sorry, right. Just days before, these two women did not feel emotionally safe to be in the same room with each other. Now they stood up and released a flood of tears in a lengthy embrace of mutual repentance and forgiveness. With their spiritual bonds of pride and unforgiveness broken, these four newly reconciled ambassadors for the Prince of Peace shared a joyous, relaxed meal with each other and their children. Then the two families began the process of rebuilding their mutual love and trust. The two couples lived for many years among people who had very little knowledge of the Jesus of the Bible. And these four testified with their lives, not just their words, that they were true disciples of the Prince of Peace because of the love they had for one another. Brothers and sisters, the good news is when we humble ourselves by forgiving each other and confessing our sins to each other, everyone in this broken and divided world will know that we are disciples of Jesus if we have that kind of love for one another. All glory to the Prince of Peace. Amen.